All right, guys. So excited about today's episode of the Run Free Podcast. I have a special guest with you guys, Shireen, which she is one of only 29 women to ever cross over from the Summer Olympics. Sorry, I'm going to go back and say the Winter Olympics to the Summer Olympics. But we're talking about going back to the Winter Olympics, maybe. But... We'll see about that. Shereen, thanks for joining us on the Run Free Podcast. All right, so for you guys who aren't familiar with Shereen, she was a 2002, 2006, and 2010 Winter Olympian before she crossed over in 2016 to the Summer Olympics in Rio, where she ran the marathon. She has PRs in the half marathon of 116.02 and in the full marathon of 239.29. 239.21 and we are gonna knock those down here in about a month or so so um but really excited to have you on the podcast today and just excited to hear your story but i would thought that I'd start with what i appreciate most about you shereen is uh what happens about five seconds after you finish every single workout which is do you want to say it or should i um right before like after i start the right workout? after you finish your workout what do you do immediately after every single workout um i'm trying to think what do i do okay I... i'll tell them because you're, you're <laughs> i don't want you to have to guess right off the bat so right after shereen finishes her workout there's always this moment of kicking herself that starts about five <laughs> seconds after she's done and continues on throughout the entire cool down process where she's just like ah i know i could have gone faster i know i could have gone better but I think that is such a good thing, such a healthy thing, uh, especially when it's channeled the right way, you know, but I can just see, um, and I think it's looking at your whole athletic background, um, you know, having gone through all the experiences you've gone through where you are not satisfied, right? You always feel like there's something more there, like you could have done better. And I don't see that like as a character flaw at all. Like I love that as a coach. I'm like, oh, she's still hungry. We just finished a 24 mile long run and she wants to get back out there and do it better next time, right? So I love that about you, but it's also kind of funny at times. Yeah, it's actually funny that you said about the 24 miles because I literally was like, oh, I could totally go back in the next day and do it again because I knew like what else I could fix and how else I want to do it. So I was like, ah, I should go back out there and do it. But so yeah, it's, there's always this part of me where I just get frustrated at myself for not, I guess I am giving it my best, but like, I know there's always more. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I think that's the mark of a great athlete is knowing that you can go faster and go better. So I'm excited that you have that as a characteristic. Um, so Shireen's been up here training with us in Flagstaff for how many months now? It's been almost two months. Yeah, almost two months. So coming from Chicago, um, and Shereen got hooked up with us through our good friend Mo, our mutual friend Mo. Um, If you guys didn't catch the previous podcast episode with Mo, you got to listen to that one. It was a good one. He brought some good stories. So tough act to follow here, Shereen. I know. (laughs) Right after Mo's episode. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so I've been coaching Shereen now for... How long have we been working together now? About six months? Um, I think so, yeah. As we yeah. started in September. Yeah. yeah. And she's just been super fun to work with. And it's been fun to see grow as an athlete and stuff. And we are getting ready for our first marathon together. I think our first half marathon together was actually a, a fun story. 
the tell, Vegas. Yeah, tell everyone about the Vegas hat. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was interesting because I haven't raced since it was you know since COVID. I haven't done any races, so um, you know I remember two weeks before you're like, okay, let's do Vegas. I'm like, oh shoot, like I have to get ready now. Like it's like as if I haven't been training. And I went to Vegas a day before and just travel there by myself. And um, it was an interesting race, you know. It was the build-up. I have I had no expectation. Uh, it was a great race, um, but it was also like I was super nervous to be there. I remember talking to you the day before, and you were like, "Just go out there and race, and don't go too fast." I was like, "Yep, got it." <laughs> and I was very and, specific with the pace. Yes, and you were like, "Don't go faster than five forty-seven, I believe." Yeah, yeah. And sure enough, the first three miles of the race, I PR'd in the five k. Uh-huh. I ran. <laughs> 5:33, 5:35, and then, but I still remember in the race. I looked at my watch at the mile, the three mile mark. I'm like, shoot, <laughs> I did not follow what he told me to. Direct so, disobedience. Yeah, but yeah. try to hold on, and I still had a good race. It was a good yeah. race, but yeah. So I mean, you're actually the first athlete I've ever coached that PR'd <laughs> in 5k in route to half marathon. <laughs> so I was impressed you were able to finish that yeah. race. By the way. Usually I'm, you know, when I get too excited, I start too fast and then, uh-huh. then I kick myself. I'm yeah. like, ah, what did I do? Yeah. So I try to hold on to dear life after that, so. Yeah, I mean, that's that, seriously impressive that you could finish the race after that. <laughs> um, where was I going to go from there? I wanted to talk about, oh, yes. So I remember when we first started working together, one of the things I was, like, really intrigued by because I've never court, I've never talked to someone who's gone to the Winter Olympics, right? Like I don't know what that experience or that world is like at all. So that's why I'm excited about today's episode. So I'm gonna talk to you all about like your experiences in both the summer versus the winter. Like it's not very often you hear someone's perspective who's been to both and can speak to both. So we're gonna get into that here in a bit. But I was actually most interested in being like what does it feel like to be at the top of the run in the alpine skiing is what you did that was your discipline correct yeah, correct for winter olympics so i'm just thinking about, i've watched it a million times on tv and i just hear that beeping or however it goes yeah, you know yeah. and i'm just thinking about like i think my heart would explode in that moment so i am super curious to hear what is going on inside of you when that countdown is happening? Yeah, it's, um, you know, because you usually have the start, and you have the start gate, so like five seconds before, they say, race are ready, and you just have to get your poles over. So do you feel like your heart beating out of your... Oh, yeah, I, I usually hear my heart, like, in, like I hear it literally in my ear, yeah. and it's kind of a, it's, you know, you know the course, you haven't done inspection, and so you're out there at the race, you just look at it, you're like, I've done this a million times, but... For some reason, everything sounds so crisp. Like everything sounds so clear, and even so, there's people cheering out there. Like I always used to hate when somebody would stand right behind me and cheer because I'm already like so like nervous. So I always liked it when people are just quiet, and I enjoyed listening to that beep. Mm. Um, you enjoy the beep. I did because it kind of gives you this like it's almost like a counting. It's almost like ready, set, go. And so I was just, like, I always enjoyed that, but like it definitely, it's nerve wracking sitting up there. Yo, man, (laughs) that's crazy that you actually enjoy that beeping sound. So do you ever feel more alive than when you're in that moment and you're waiting? So to be honest, in ski racing, that is the only time 
I felt like the, this is the only time you really are like really nervous because once mm. you're on the course you forget about everything and it's such a short you're on the course for a minute a minute and a half depends what event it is but it goes by so fast and everything's moving so quick that the only time you're nervous is literally at the start mm. gate but everything is clear you're hearing everything you're hearing like your poles when you put them together like your skis on the snow your boots just stiff like there's everything about it just so crisp like yeah because to me like a lot of like what meditation is is like being super aware yeah. of what you're hearing your perceptions everything and that sounds like the most meditative moment you could possibly experience it is and especially when they have night races when it's at night that is the coolest feel i cannot even describe it because you can't see anything else around you but the hill and for some reason at night everything sounded so like even louder than it is in daytime because you know daytime you have the chairlift running and people around you and so to me it was like it's such a good feeling I mean, I can't even describe it it was such a good feeling um, but yeah it's being in the start gate it's nerve-wracking but like it's you know you're it's exciting because you just feel everyone around you the beeping and all of that yeah so I want to jump into your story and stuff but before we leave this moment I'm just like getting visuals in my own head as you're talking about it and I'm like picturing athletes at the top before they take their run and seeing them like visualize you know like they show them on TV they got their eyes closed and you can see they're just like going through the course in their mind so I mean we talk a lot about visualization at run free training we try to get our athletes to visualize themselves all the time but did you become like a master of visualization through alpine skiing very much so especially for downhill skiing because so downhill skiing, you do you practice the same course. You have one run, and you practice the same course two days before. Same exact course, but the first time you go, you know you can stand up. You can just try to figure out which turn is the fastest. So I used to write them down, and because every year they have the same exact course. So and when you're approaching the gate, sometimes you can't see the gate that is after because there's a bump. Mm. So you really like you, when you're in tuck position, you have to kind of aim at the at a tree. And you really have to trust yourself. You're like, this is the direction that I told myself I'm going. And this is the direction you're going. And I used to write everything down and just kind of, you know, the gates and there's a bump. Like, just everything, I would mark it down. And I was actually really good. And still now, like, somebody shows me something. That's why I'm always good at, like, seeing something on a piece of paper or watching on TV. Because I'm really good at just, Mm. once I see it, it's stuck in my head. Yeah. So I have that, like, very well. Like, some... Sometimes people are like talk to me like, hey, do you know this and this? I'm like, can you just write it down? Because once it's down, it's like stuck in my head. Huh. So, so does that carry it over, carry over at all to the running space? Like, I know you've run Chicago Marathon. Yeah. So, like, if we're out doing a 15 mile threshold tomorrow, can you just picture, like, say, if we were training for Chicago, which we're not, but could you be in practice tomorrow on Lake Mary and just see Chicago unfolding in your mind? Yes, I'm actually, and a few times, like. So when I started training with you, you know, you would say to me like, oh, picture, you know, your next race, picture mm-hmm. where you're going to be. And, um, and for me, it was, I remember the first time thinking, well, how can I picture something and I've never seen it? Mm. And I remember coming home and I like opened YouTube and I looked up the race and I looked up what it was like for Texas. I looked up just to get a feel of what it is. But I usually do that when I'm running. I just picture myself there and... I'm, I'm actually pretty good at it, at going at that place and just being there. Because um, even in Chicago, like a lot of my friends, when I'm running, they're like, 
hey, we were waving at you. Like, like I didn't even see you. <laughs> like, I don't listen to music often when I'm running, like, on the Chicago path. But I just, um, I don't know if it's called the zone, but I'm uh-huh. just kind of, like, in my own, like, space. Yeah. So. Sounds like the skiing has really helped you, like, stay focused. It and does. be very present. It does. And I'm very, yeah. like, if I... If I focus on something, I'm very just really like this is what I want, and it's yeah. hard for me to change my mind. Uh, but usually, I'm pretty good at that. Okay. So, so have you been watching videos on the Eugene course right now too? I did. Yes, right. I did. It's um, I did, and I even showed Ronnie, my husband, like some other. But I was like, this is what it looks like. I'm like, this is where I have to turn after six yeah. months. Yeah. So I'm excited about it now that I've seen it, and I've been practicing like, you know, doing turns and yeah. just being there. So. Oh, yeah, I'm excited for that one. It's going to be good. Yeah, for you guys who aren't familiar with that course, it's just a bike path. And it's just literally just six miles out, six miles back, and yep. back and forth on it. But super flat and fast, so we're going to go chase the time up there. It's going to be super fun. Um, last question on this subject before we get into your story. And, uh, oh, yeah, I forgot to mention, for our listeners, if you're listening to this podcast, you can actually watch this podcast. Can you believe that? We've gone from, Hi. like super rustic no intro music zero editing to an actually like recorded podcast so you can watch this we're putting it on the run free youtube channel and uh there's something else i was gonna say with that i can't remember we're doing edits in this podcast as well so we're gonna make my little brother chad work extra hard Uh, (laughs) hopefully there's not much editing he has to do so (laughs) yeah no we'll keep it to a minimum um Back to my last question I wanted to ask on this subject. So you know how when you're running, I don't know if this has happened to you before, but I've fallen a million times when I'm running, especially on trails. And it's always like a slow motion fall, you know? It's like, you're like, I'm going to catch myself. And then you're like going down. You're like, I'm not catching myself. And it seems to happen so slowly. So I'm sure you've taken some spills. Now, pine skiing, do you fall in slow motion when you're skiing? Um, It happens, usually the fall that happens so quick and in my mind i used to think oh that was just a little fall and then i get up and i just i remember so i've had a few injuries from ski racing i've had uh, two acl well one acl the other was a uh, the top of the tibia just cracked the bone in half Whoa. um so it, it was it's amazing because like the first one and i did the acl i fell and i like got up i'm like oh i'm fine and i looked up and everybody was like oh my gosh that was like the worst fall ever i'm like i don't think so that was like pretty quick like I don't remember it didn't anything. Didn't feel I'm bad like, to you. Didn't feel bad at all. Huh. And I remember standing up. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't even put my skis on. Like my knee was just gone. You know, my Whoa. ACL was gone. So it's interesting because in ski racing, it happens so quick that you don't remember. But some of them, like the sliding one, you're just like, oh yeah, I was sliding. But usually everything happens so fast. Like it's a blink of an eye and you just, huh. you just don't remember. Do so. they teach you how to fall? Um, they usually tell you to keep your skis up uh-huh. and then if you're sliding to let yourself slide and not stop it because most people if they're going at such a high speed and they try to put their skis you know to stop it they just kind of snap yeah you know? they catch themselves yeah. and then they so they tell themselves. you like lift your legs up and just mm. keep sliding until yeah. you feel like you're slow enough to be able to stop yourself interesting but, yeah but usually you just stand up and you're like oh my gosh my goggles all over <laughs> snow all over my face I'm like what happened? But it just happened so quickly. So that really bad fall you're talking about, did you go back and watch a video of that? I did not watch the video, but I stayed a whole month, like, not believing that I actually tore my ACL. Really? And everybody's like, Shreen, you're Because every movement forward I was able to do, but sideways I couldn't do it. 
But I, was think, I also think because I had such a strong hamstring that my, I was able to kind of continue doing like forward motion. Uh, but then I like literally I visited a doctor and he's like, Srini, your ACL is gone. I'm like, nope. <laughs> he's like, you come back in a month, you know, come back a couple of days. Just let me know how it is. But, yeah. Yeah. So you did not get an image of that in MRI? No, I waited because there was a lot of swelling. So I waited and then finally like I realized there was something wrong because it just gives away. Uh-huh. Like every time I would try to do something and yeah, so went back and got a surgery. But that wow. was my first big injury my first actually injury yeah ever so huh. it was hard to take it as an athlete but so wow that's crazy i think i did a pro i seen my i think i probably did the worst job introducing you ever i didn't even say what country you're from yeah so shreen's from lebanon that's pretty important in this story so actually let's go into your story what is it like to live in lebanon i think a lot i know for myself like growing up in southern california like i just didn't have a clue yeah. about that kind of stuff. So tell us what it's like growing up in Lebanon. So um, I have, well, growing up in Lebanon, so I have just a little bit about my family. I have an older sister and then two older brothers. I'm the youngest one in the family. But um, so growing up, I my family were just, you know, super active people. But um, growing up in Beirut was just definitely different than being in the U.S. Um you know, sports is important in Lebanon, but not as important. Education is like number one, and but yeah, it's it's a different atmosphere there. It's just uh, real quick on that. Um, what are there differences in sports between men and women? Like, especially at that time, like, are there less opportunities for women compared to guys, or how does it work in the sports space with gender? Um, I think at that time, like, definitely women were not, you know into sports that much now it's that has changed completely in lebanon there's more people you know running marathons and like running in general and doing other sports which is great um but i think like sports wasn't a big thing because i still remember growing up you know my mom would just sometimes on wednesday she's like oh you know taking shreen and her sister out and taking them skiing and everybody at school like the teacher like i cannot believe you do this to your kids education is so important Mm -hmm. and mom's like nope they're going skiing they can learn they can learn later in life but skiing is not going to happen all the time so uh, i was very fortunate to have parents like that who were not afraid to just you know let us do what we wanted to do yeah um but yeah so a little bit about lebanon i mean it's an amazing country uh it's not that big it's probably smaller than the size of new jersey it's really tiny wow population is probably like four four million Lebanese and the other half are refugees or two million refugees Um, but it's a beautiful country it's you know you go from sea level to about 7,000 feet in maybe 15 minutes which is amazing 15 minutes 50 oh 50 I was gonna say 15 that's like you're going up a steep grade but it's, it's literally amazing and then when you're skiing on the ski slopes like you look down and you see the Mediterranean Sea which is Wow, you know, you're up there skiing cool. and some people like in April you can go skiing and then go to you know swimming in the in the Mediterranean so it's wow. pretty amazing but it's a beautiful country like people are very welcoming um, unfortunately we've been through a lot but it's just people still live day to day so yeah wow that's and so then why so you left Lebanon well first of all you start skiing at age three 
that's that's pretty young. I mean, you mentioned how your mom would like take you guys skiing yeah. and not be sweating in school so much. Um, but like, were your parents were they like, oh, Shireen, like she's gonna be a good skier one day, or was it just like fun, casual? No, you know, I think to them, effort like being at that age, they just wanted us all to be, you know, skiers and active. And my parents are both like into hiking and playing tennis, so that was kind of a thing that we always did. Um, but I think at the age of, I was like 10 or nine years old, <laughs> I used to put rocks in my pocket because we used to have this race where everybody would stand and try to see who goes the fastest down the hill. And I used to put rockets and like little rocks in my pocket just to go faster than everyone. <laughs> my mom's like, you have to stop doing that. If you fall, it's like really bad. I'm like, but I have to win. Like and you're smart too. So yeah, and I was not a f- like, there's one thing about me. I had no fear. Like I just would mm. ski down the hill and people were like, who is this one? Like, why is she not turning? I just went straight. That was like my thing, just go straight. Um, but then I think like at the age of 10, I started really getting into, like interested in ski, in ski racing. And I would come home from school, like turn up like the World Cup ski and just watch it like every day. My mom was like, do your homework. I'm like, I have to watch this run. <laughs> so does Lebanon have a history with ski racing? Like, how are you watching it? Like, it just, just on TV? Yeah, like Eurosport is kind of the ESPN yeah. here. So I used to watch just the World Cup, you know, happening. And I, you know, on TV, I just sit there and watch. And but was and there that, any, like, good skiers from Lebanon? No, they were not Lebanese. Or? My favorite uh, ski racer at that time was Tomba. It was called, like, Tomba la Bomba. He was, like, <laughs> Italian. And I was like, I want to be Tomba. Like, yeah. that's all I thought about. He, like, sat really back in the back seat and just, like ski down I'm like I used to start doing that so again talking about like visualization Mm -hmm. like that was me watching and trying to do exactly what they were doing Mm -hmm. and so I used to practice that every time I go up there I'm like "Ah, I do that and I was like wow this girl's like not afraid to throw herself out there and so they had a small um, ski club in Lebanon and they had a coach from France who was coaching the team there and he told my parents, he's like, this girl, I think, has potential. Like, she's, you know, she's really loving it. She's really wants to do it. And my parents, with no hesitation, they're like, okay, like, what's the next step? And he's like, well, she should go and, like, go to school in France and train there. And they're like, okay. And so I'm like, oh, I'm going to France. I, mean, I was only 12 at that time. Um, my mom came with me for the first month. And I still remember it was around Christmas time. And she's like, okay, I have to go home now. Like, go back to your brother and sister. At first, I was, like, having so much fun, you know, like, traveling in Europe with my mom. And when she left me, it was, like, disaster. I'm like, mom, like, you're leaving me. What am I going to do? where did she leave you? Does the school have a dorm and stuff like that? So I stayed with my coach. So Uh my coach and his wife. So I just lived with them and went to school, you know, during the day and then, around two o'clock he would come pick me up and we'd just go skiing in the afternoon wow did he have other skiers staying with him too no, or it was just, just, just me wow yeah so it was tough because he really was very like i would now looking back at it i felt like it was as if i was in the military mm. you know it was like go to bed at that time and you know wake up at that time do certain things get up in the morning before school i used to go for like a mini jog and come back and after school he picked me up so it was very kind of on a schedule and being 12 I mean there's so much I was still developing as you know as a child and but I like quickly had to just 
learn how to be independent quickly how to be like con like just confident and believing that this is i'm doing the right thing and and uh, it was hard because i didn't have any friends then so i had to make new friends and mm -hmm. speaking the language i mean even so growing up in lebanon we learn all three languages uh, french english and arabic um, but once you live in the country you really are speaking that language right. and so it was hard for me to like adjust and you know not be shy and just be able to kind of be myself uh, but it was fine i survived my time <laughs> there so yeah so i'm curious about this as a coach and i'm sure we have lots of coaches that listen to this podcast but like i feel like i really care a lot about my athletes yeah. right but i would never bring in a 12 year old kid yes. that i'm coaching so like obviously you knew your coach do you still keep in touch with him um not really but we're still i mean kind of you know through social yeah. media i know he's he follows me but like we don't really chat right. or anything so from your perspective though like what do you where did that come from like that heart of being like i see this kid has some talent some potential i'm just gonna like invite them to come live with me <laughs> yeah i don't know you know it's interesting because i definitely was very like excited to be i wanted to be a skier i wanted to someday go to the olympics like i wanted to do that it was very very hard for me to leave my parents my brother and sister and just literally start a new life at 12 years old and i'm like oh my gosh like this is crazy um i used to call my mom every single day and at the time we didn't have like whatsapp and right. all that yeah. the phones and so i had to go buy the cards and i'll call my mom and go buy another card and call my mom and I still remember I'm like mom I want to come home and you know her instead of she's so supportive both of my mom and dad and instead of them saying like oh it's okay stick it out you know she always said to me okay pack your stuff and <laughs> for some reason that just made mm. me want to stay even like I'm like right. wait no I came here because I chose to come here right um so that kept me going for, you know, the couple of years that I was there. But She got you with the reverse she psychology. Did. And she's really good at that. <laughs> she's really good at that. So no, it is crazy, though. Like when your pa parents empower you yeah. and then you're like, oh, I can actually do that. Yeah. Like I can do whatever I want here. Like that. And then it makes you like, OK, I better make a good decision. Yeah. Which is And I crazy. think her way of doing that always, always made me feel like my parents are always there no matter what. So mm -hmm. if I made the decision to leave they're okay with it like it was never like no you have to stay it was okay to come back but then it always comes back to me and like everything that i've done right. i'm like wow i've i'm here i should just continue doing this so i know my parents are four hours away like flight so it's okay and that just kept me going till you know two and a half years in france so two and a half years yeah so where'd you go from france so from france i started you know, the Olympics were getting closer, and I started thinking, oh, like... What year 20, is this? Uh, gosh, it was 1999, I think. Okay. Um, so I started thinking about the Olympics and how I can train on the ski hill, where the Olympics going to happen, the 2002 Olympic Games, and Salt Lake City was the place to go. And um, I'll be honest, I thought the U.S. was like another planet. Like, it was so <laughs> far away, because... In Europe and the Middle East, everything feels so close. Um, I never thought in my life I would come to the U.S. like just to leave that far away from home. Um, but yeah, so Salt Lake City was the next step. So we decided, you know, find a school there, a private school, and it's a school where you you 
go to you go to school in the morning and then around two o'clock you just go to the vans and then they just drive you to the hill wow. and you go training till about four or five p.m come back and just go and do your homework so this is a high school yes so you did did you do all four years at this high school i did yes yeah wow. and that was tough because being in france the whole time and then just going to the u.s I had to change. It was like, again. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, you just repeat the whole process you everything. just went And not only yeah. that, it was like the culture, you know, from mm -hmm. changing from Lebanon to France to the U.S., just adjusting to the culture and the language. I still remember the first year as a freshman, I mean, my English was terrible. Grammar was great, but I couldn't understand people. I was like, why is everybody talking so fast? <laughs> or they would, you know, I they would to the words like there's words that they skip like the letters i'm like what are you saying <laughs> you know and uh so that was hard for me at the beginning i had a french teacher that would sit next to me would translate everything from english to french and that's how i like slowly start to learn but i was very popular because everybody wanted their homework done in french <laughs> so they would come to me in the hallways like hey you speak french can you do my homework so that was like the good part of it, but otherwise it was, I had every diction, every size of dictionary that you can think of. Oh, wow. So. So is it safe to say that tra uh, transferring from France to the U.S. was harder than going from Lebanon to France? I think so, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it was, I mean, it was a good experience, like just coming here and, you know, just getting to know the people. I lived also with host families here, so. Oh. Um, <laughs> something that I always remember, they used to speak to me very loud. And I was like, why They're like are they? yelling at you. Yes. And I'm like, why are they all screaming? Like, what is it? So one of the daughters that lives in the, you know, part of the family, she's like, mom, stop yelling at Shereen. She can hear. She just doesn't understand English. And I was like, oh, thank God someone said something. Because it was always like, Shereen, dinner is ready. I'm like, I can hear you. I just, I can hear you. Just speak slowly. That's it. So. Yeah, right. But that's funny because as you say that, I'm like, I think I do that to people too. I think there's just something like innate that you feel like you got to say it really, not just slow, but loud yeah. too. Yeah. So people did that. But yes, I slowly started to to learn just different words. Sometimes I ask, what does this mean? And But yeah, I think uh, history was my favorite class because growing up in Lebanon, we, lear we learned that so much. And I remember history, we were learning about Egypt and... I was so good at it. I just kind of sat there and felt so <laughs> proud of myself. <laughs> Finally, a class you can breeze through. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So what, what language do you think in now? Um, I, I want to say maybe English. Yeah? Yeah. Do you dream in English as well? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't remember it. There's not a lot of talking in my dreams. No, silent There's dreams. Silent dreams. It's <laughs> well, more like chasing dreams. I'm always like being chased for some reason. I don't know really? why. Yeah. Okay. Or like I'm doing something that, like jumping off like a cliff or something crazy like that. And I remember it because it happens to me often. Yeah. Then now I just like enjoy the fall. Yeah. It's really weird. So you know you're dreaming in your dreams. Yes. Okay. Interesting. We got way off topic there, but yes, that's true. But yeah, it's. Uh, I think I do think in English for sure. Okay. So I still count in French, though. Do you? Yes, which is very, very weird. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So going back to your story, so you do high school, and then where does college happen for you? So after high school, um, graduated, and then I got a scholar, full scholarship at the University of Utah, 
And so I skied for the youths for the four years after that. And that was amazing. And it was nice for me because I didn't have to move mm-hmm. once again. Right. And I had the option to move, but I just decided, you know, I'm already away away from home. So just might as well stick, you know, stay here in Utah and then, right. yeah. So obviously you're like heavy, heavy into ski training at yeah. this point, right? Um, but I'm curious, like, how do skiers train to start with? But also too, like, did you have any exposure to running during that ski training or was it very specific just ski training? It was just skiing. So for skiing, it's a lot of power. It's a lot of jumping. It's a lot of lifting. So you're doing plyos. A lot of that. So okay. a lot of squatting. Um, so our winter, our summer, during the summertime, we usually have a break where it's, we call it dry land, where all we do is like sprints or mm-hmm. box jumps, lots of box jumps, lots of squats, um, you know, bench press, all of that, uh, just building the body, getting it strong. And um, we did a lot of rollerblading, which was kind of yeah, fun too, because right. it's similar to skiing a little bit, like practicing the turns and things like that. And then uh, usually by the end of the summer, we start summer camps. And we usually go to Austria and then just train on the glaciers and, you know, start with drills, like one ski, and then you just kind of build from there and start doing gates and we do a little bit of free skiing. But it's um, it takes a lot. And then, like, right after skiing, we usually go back to the hotel, take a break, and then we do dry land every mm. day. There was always some sort of – either we play soccer or we go on a hike, but there was never a day of just skiing and you're done. There's none of that. So how many hours a day are you talking about, like, when you combine dry land and your ski training? Um, so at camp, I'm usually, you know, you're skiing for four hours in the morning, and I'm probably doing dry land for, like, two hours in the afternoon. Wow. So so does, does marathon training, in comparison now, does it seem, like, very time light? Like, you're only spending, you know, not half of that doing marathon training on a big day. So does that feel like, guys where's all the training you know it's i've always i think this is where a little bit of me comes out like i always want more and i think like sometimes it's i know more is not better but there's always i'm always like i need to do something else like what else can we do what else what should i do and but i know that running requires more effort not that ski racing is not a lot of effort but for some reason running you're you're moving your whole body and Mm -hmm. there's a lot that goes into that so it's a lot of output compared to skiing where gravity is kind of doing a lot of that absolutely so like for skiing i you know never once in my life thought oh my gosh like what am i eating the day like the day before what am i eating the morning of i just fuel myself and just go and ski race but in running it's so much like day to day goes into like what are you eating how you're you know how much sleep you're getting how are you recovering because yeah you might so you might be able to do it for two three days of just like oh yeah i'm fine i just right just go off fumes yeah Yeah. but then it will hit you hard so while skiing like you can just kind of get away with it a little bit right i think that was the first question i asked you when i saw you today yeah it's like i've been eating a lot (laughs) yeah yeah do you eat a lot have you yes yeah i'm not just shereen's coach i'm also your food yes enforcer yes which is a good thing because i'm not so good at it so well that's actually what i want to talk about next so i mean you're doing all this training for ski training what is your nutrition like and what 
kind of physique are you going for as an optimal ski racer? So in skiing, the bigger, the better, the faster. Heavier you're weight. Carrying, yes, going so you're carrying more weight. And of mm. course, you have to be, you know, I'm not saying like get big and just go ski, right? You have to be strong. Right. And yeah, you don't see fat people ski racing. No. Yeah. And so, I mean, comparing to what I used to weight as a ski racer, I lost probably like 25 pounds, which is, I'm pretty, you know, petite. I'm, you know, probably 5'1". And to have 132 pounds, like maybe 134 pounds um, on me, it's just insane to look back at it now. But I never thought of myself like, oh my gosh, I'm fat or anything. I was just strong like just how you need it to be yes. for what you're doing i mean i had big like my quads were huge my arms were huge i just had a lot of muscle on well, shrink it bench 160 yeah pounds. that's still my record at the uh, roland hall st marks if you go there you'll see it so oh, we need to see that and i want to take you into the weight room after this marathon see how much you can bench <laughs> as a marathoner i'm just super curious now i haven't done it for so long so i try to avoid lifting now it's it's not my uh sometimes i don't enjoy it as much but well you definitely don't need it yeah uh you know shireen is out ripping 200s in 30 <laughs> seconds she ran 29 <laughs> the other day first hey, sub 30. First 30 yeah so i mean that power training that you did as a ski racer very evident it's not gone yeah. even though you haven't been doing it i can see it in your legs every single interval yeah. session we're doing so it, I think it's one of those things where, you know, as a coach, it's like, what does this athlete need? I love prescribing weight training for most of my athletes, but I see you train and I'm like, Shereen, this is not her weakness. Yeah. She doesn't, at this stage, and that could change, but at this stage, like, you just don't, yeah. you don't need it. Yeah. So going back to the nutrition question, five foot one, 134 pounds, what were you doing nutritionally to, like, keep your body weight at a higher level for an athlete? I mean... I was eating like I mean never once I thought oh my gosh like you know I need to lose weight no it was just always you know when you lift for some reason when you're lifting you get really hungry yeah and, metabolism. Yeah. Yeah. and um, we used to like right after lifting you know the coaches like give us chocolate milk or something to drink so but never once I thought like you know what am I eating or I ate everything that I felt like just did they have a nutritionist working with you guys in um, Utah? We didn't really have anyone, no. Just kind of staying healthy and balanced and injury-free. Mm -hmm. That was, like, the main thing. But uh, we didn't really have, like, someone to just control what we were eating. Um, Do you have a strength coach? Or was your did. ski coach prescribing the lifting as well? No, we didn't have a strength coach at uh, University of Utah, so... And uh, that was kind of nice because we used to train with the football team. Yeah. So it was interesting, like, being there. But we did a lot of, like, circuit where you just jump from one machine to another, which was my favorite for some reason. Like, um, But otherwise, yeah, we just always had someone with us. Like, every time we, walk, we went to the gym, it was very specific what we did and lots of squats, lots of arm works, you know. So I don't know what you call that machine where you just... Oh, yeah. It's like a... Try okay. it for the... Your, Tricep, I don't know, tricep? Yeah, it's, it's probably a lot, a lot of lat. Yes. It's a lot of pulling. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of that, but then um, lots of box jump, lots of stability, like balance stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I was telling my husband, Ronnie, I used to stand on a physio ball, and then someone would throw the ball mm -hmm. at me, and I would just stand there, or we'd stand in a tuck position for like two minutes, and you like start shaking on the physio ball, and you're like, I, I'm just going to fall, but you just stand there. Uh, so it was a lot of that, that 
you know, it was kind of fun. I enjoyed doing that. So yeah, that does sound like fun training. Yeah, yeah. We used to see people in Mammoth Lakes where we used to train a lot of professional snowboarders up there, and they're always standing on physio balls yeah. and have people throw med balls at them. And, yeah, it's just yeah. jump from like literally the ground up on a physio ball wow. and just stand there. So yeah, yeah. Now I mean, I'm like too afraid to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's not try and do that anytime soon. <laughs> That is that is interesting. So, how has your nutrition changed now? Um, once you had to transition from that, well, what uh, maybe talk to us a little bit about? I'm kind of getting ahead of your story here a little bit, but curious, like how you transitioned that body type that had to be very specific for skiing to uh, marathoning. So, to go back, I never really thought I was going to be a marathoner. So, it started by just. You know, my husband and I just wanting to run the Chicago Marathon. And I was like, oh, you know, just kind of take it off our list of things to do in life and just run a marathon. And I don't think we both, like, or I thought about what I should eat at that time. And so I think still, I mean, I'm not the greatest at it. Still, I think it's a lot goes into nutrition towards marathon and it can really improve your running. Um, And I'm not the best at it, but I'm definitely more careful like okay tomorrow I have a long run I should probably like eat a little bit more carbs tomorrow it's easy like I'm okay eating Mm -hmm. this so I definitely think about that now more than I have before yeah so and then especially staying hydrated you know especially being here at altitude and things like that but things that I never used to even think twice about yeah all right well let's let's hop back to your story a little bit what I know for me, like one of the sweetest moments I had as an athlete was when I crossed the finish line of the Olympic trials and qualified for Olympic games. And I was like, I'm going to the Olympics. And I remember I just kept telling myself that like over and over again, like during the press conference and all throughout the rest of the afternoon, I just like, I can't believe it. Like I'm actually going. So tell us when was that moment for you and what did that moment feel like? So for me, that was Houston of 2016. And the reason why... Well, is let's go back to the Winter Olympics. Oh, for the Winter so your Olympics. your very first Olympics. Oh, so for the Olympics, I want to say Vancouver was very... To me, it was like it meant a lot because my parents were there. Um, you know, I had met Ronnie then and then... Which we're going to get into that yes. story in a bit. So I think... And I just enjoyed being there. I just enjoyed having my but family what, there. How did you qualify though? Like, like, when did they tell you? Was there a qualifying process? Was there trials? Like, how did that work? Yeah, so for skiing, it's a little different. So we don't do trials. It's a point system. And, you know, every time you're, every race you do, you collect points. And so um, I still remember, like, just, you know, every race I go out there. Because you, all you need is two slalom races and two GS races. And, you know, you get your... I remember one race, we were in Canada, and I did so well and I scored a lot of points and I was sitting there in the room with all my teammates and the coaches at the end of the day we always used to video because they show you what you did on mm. your run how yeah. you can improve and and um, he's like yeah so Shireen today did great everybody like you know say congrats and it was like oh cool good job and I was just fuming inside I'm like I just wanted to get up and scream I'm like oh my god like I scored the points that I need to go to Olympics and so you knew at that moment I did yes after and I, that run yeah I remember going to the bathroom and just going like in the mirror I'm like yes I did it <laughs> uh, but that was like a good time I would never forget that race so yeah so that was a good moment but yeah a lot of a lot of like the other Olympics were also that way so yeah so that first Olympics in Vancouver 
how many people are on the Lebanon squad? So like when you guys walk out into that stadium with your flag at the opening ceremonies, how many athletes are there from Lebanon for the Winter Olympics? For the 2010, I think it was probably two of us or three of us. Whoa. Okay. So that's it. And you know, you see all those countries coming in and then it's just us. <laughs> and then I remember the delegation like, oh, let's walk with them so we don't look so small. Yeah. So, you know, we can have kind of a group with us. Uh, but yeah, it was always like few athletes, like two, three athletes from Lebanon that represented. So not a big, not a big group. So how is that for people back home at Lebanon? Like, were you like a superstar at that point? Cause you're like one of two Olympians or? Yeah, you know, it's it was always hard in Lebanon to people that knew about skiing knew about me, but it was always hard to just let people know that there's a skier from Lebanon. I think skiing is not a big thing. Hmm. Uh, so that was always a little bit hard to... Even though you guys of, have ski resorts and stuff. I know, it's, it's crazy. So everyone hmm. at the ski resort knows me. So like when I go back, like, oh my God, it's Shereen, you know, hmm. and I never look at myself like this, but it kind of make you feel it's it's a good feeling you know yeah. it's always a good feeling but um but i don't think like lebanon was like oh my gosh we have an olympian like i don't think that was a thing but everybody that surrounded me that i knew of from skiing yeah made me feel kind of great about myself yeah so what did that feel like for you when you walked out for the first time in vancouver next year were you holding the flag or do you guys i did i i was holding the flag in 2002 and and six um i held the flag it's such an amazing i were like yeah. i was scared i'm gonna trip or i'm gonna fall like i'm scared the flag's gonna trip like fall over but it's such a cool feeling like you walk out you're holding the flag and you just hear everybody like screaming yeah. it's an amazing feeling and i tell people over and over like it is truly like living the dream right it's, you know it's it is the dream so yeah yeah but yeah and uh, I tell people it is like what you see on TV yes. like it's it, it's one of the few things where I've seen it on TV and then lived it yeah. and being like it lives up to the expectations yeah. it's yeah. it's crazy because once you leave the Olympics like after two weeks you know you're walking with the credential people see you and they're like oh how can we help you like everybody's so nice yeah but after the Olympics you're like wait can I keep wearing my credential <laughs> like that was amazing like now what am I supposed to do it's almost like a moment of I don't want to say like you're depressed but you're just kind of like what's next yeah so yeah coming back off the Olympics there is oftentimes like a the low. yeah the yes. low yep. for sure so what was kind of the highlight of that first Olympic experience for you so the first I mean I could not believe I was like out there because just a few steps back like before the Olympics I also had anorexia so I was dealing with that going to the Olympics which was crazy because I worked so hard to get there and then the year before you know I've had my ACL surgery my plat you know the bone my the injury in my bone and then uh, had anorexia and then I had like pneumonia so it was just one thing after another and you know they kept telling me like Shreen if you don't put on weight I mean I was probably like 84 pounds at that time <laughs> so like, hold on this is really interesting to me so anorexia is a big thing in running right because yes. like oftentimes the lighter you are the better you perform in ski racing you're talking about being 5'1 134 pounds and trying to be as big and strong as possible so you can go faster because it's performance enhancing to be yep. bigger so when you look back at like your struggle with anorexia why do you think you were struggling with that if it's more beneficial to be bigger so it's 
it's something that I didn't, it's not something I was planning on it. I wasn't like, oh my gosh, I need to lose weight. But I think I injured myself. So I had my first ACL surgery. And then coming back from that, I had, um, I had, I, so I had pneumonia. And that was really bad. Like it was just, I was hospitalized for, you know, a month. And so I was like, okay, I'm coming to come back from this. Like I could do this. And then I injured my knee again after coming back. And I think it's almost being an overachieve, like just wanting to do what's like being best. I'm like, okay, I'm going to come back. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to eat healthy and mm-hmm. I'm going to be strong. Like I'm coming back. And I think I took that way too far mm, yeah. and I just stopped eating and I was, you know, just put myself into that situation where I was anorexic. And I, a lot of people tells you like, Shreen, you're losing a lot of weight. And I was like, no, you're just jealous. Like mm-hmm. I'm totally fine. And did you ever look in the mirror and be like, hold on, I need to put on weight so no, I'm better never. at ski racing? Never. Really? Yeah. Even never. though you're like training for the Olympic Games? Yes. I never thought that way. I always thought I was strong and, you know, I was healthy and I was doing the right thing. And mm. But until I think my coaches were like, done. Like, if you're not going to put on weight, you cannot be in the weight room. You cannot be on the ski slope with us. And I think it started to hit me and I started to, okay, I understand there's something wrong with me. I mean obviously because you know i'd sit at the table and i'll have food and i'll hide my food um i don't know how i did it but i would like hide it in my bag or my mm-hmm. purse and like people look at me like wow you ate it i'm like yeah i did and when i actually didn't and um but then it was hard for me to get out of that it was hard for me to get myself back out of it and i knew it was the right thing i just didn't know how to do it and I did went and see a psychologist, and I don't think that helped me, um, honestly. And I don't know if it's because I'm stubborn. I just had a really hard time with it. Mm. Um, but when I was sitting with the psychologist, talking to him, I was like, yeah, I could totally eat. And I think if he would have given me something to eat at that time, I would have been fine. But as soon as I walked out that door, just all gone. Mm. And um, my mom came over to the U.S., and... She would, you know, watch me eat for lunch and I would sneak some runs here and there. I mean, even so, I wasn't like dress clothes, like going to school. I would go and jog at lunch without telling anyone. Um, But then I would do things like that, like it was crazy. And then um, I went back to Lebanon that year and one of my friends, you know, saw me and she's like, who are you? And I was like, strange. She's like, I don't even reckon. I mean, I looked 84 pounds was not, I looked completely different. And um, for some reason, I snapped out of it. I think being with home with family and friends just kind of, you know, I felt like the warmth and the support and I started eating again. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like you needed like a loving environment, it sounds like, to kind of, yeah, snap out of it. Maybe, mm, maybe you know, I just don't know because when I was here for my injuries, I was by myself and remember my mom calling me she's like hey are you okay and I was like my pneumonia was like really bad I was in the hospital and just couldn't do any like walking two steps I had to sit down Hmm. it was like too painful to walk and breathe and so I was like I don't know if that was just a combo of it all but yeah it was it was a one year of just complete struggle yeah well I'm so glad that you're able to work through that and I think there's a lot of good takeaways for people. I think, you know, in in the running space it's such a common issue, yeah. you know. So I think like you telling your story and sharing it here and elsewhere is super powerful in helping other people who are dealing with the same issue. Like I get hit up all the time with 
DMs, and I had my own eating issues as well as a runner. So I think it's super powerful to talk about things that work and don't work and how you're ultimately able to get through that. But I did interrupt your answer to the question, which was the highlight of uh, your Olympic experience. Yeah, so going going to 2002, I was, you know, I barely put on 100 pounds. So for me to be out there was just meant a lot to me because I worked you know, leaving home from when I was 12 and just making it to the Olympics was, you know, it meant everything. I just could not believe it with all the struggles and all the ups and downs that I was able to actually stand at the start gate and race, even so I was not my healthiest. Um, but it was such an amazing like feeling to be there. So how were your, so one thing that we joke about is like, and I, I found this actually kind of surprising when we first started working together was how nervous you'd get before workouts. Uh, I'm like, she's been to five Olympics. Like, how come she's still what? so nervous before workouts? It's work, working with you. It's, it's you know, it's <laughs> I'm almost... I'm an intimidating <laughs> person. <laughs> no, you're actually a very, you know, I'm so thankful to be training with you. Like, it's, oh, ama- it's, it's been amazing and, you know, getting yeah. to know you and stuff like that. But, yeah, for some reason, it's, you know, I just, I think... I want to prove that I can do something and uh, so I always get nervous before that. I just don't know if I can, but every time I finish, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I did this. Right. So how were your nerves in that first Olympics on your, in your actual competitions? Like were your nerves through the roof? Or? Oh my gosh, yes. I still remember, like usually I notice things around, but I was like, I, the one thing that I clearly still remember was I was at the start gate and they had those cameras that comes from above and just come like that films you from above and I, I was so focused like looking and I just see something like the corner <laughs> of my eye I'm like what is this so yeah I was extremely nervous for the first uh, Olympics I mean every one of them yeah I was really nervous at the start gate but but once again once you go you just forget about it yeah but and then you hear the people before the finish screaming and that's such an amazing feeling oh, I so, bet. yeah i can imagine coming through that finish you you must just feel a lot of like relief just finishing your run in general and just being like i got it out of my yeah, system and then, kind of thing you know it's a lot of a lot of people like miss usually the last gate or like they fall the last like few gates of the slum and i think because you hear the people uh, you get super excited uh, and you just let go a little bit right and Sometimes that's when you make the mistake, right. but it's hard. It's hard to like hold on. You're just like, I'm here. I'm almost at the finish, and you just kind of like throw yourself out there. Right. But yeah, it's such an amazing feeling. So staying on this nerve topic for just a second longer. Having been to four Olympics, did I say five before? No, no. Four Olympics. Yeah, but I think Hopefully earlier I might five. have said five. Yeah, it's gonna be five. Hopefully. So having been to four Olympics. Like, obviously, you've had to learn to manage nervousness. So maybe tell people things that have been helpful for you, helpful keys when you're feeling nervous. How do you manage those moments? In skiing, how I did, or now? Skiing and running, everywhere. So in skiing, so I learned how, like, the breathing. I thought that was really helpful, and it helps me focus. Like, I think you breathe through your stomach and just kind of let it out. but then also like telling yourself, you know, just stay in the zone. Like you've done this before. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, you know how to ski race. Things like that helps you refocus. And one thing that the coaches used to tell me was, I used to listen to like very techno, like pump up music. Yeah. And they're like, no, Shreen, you need to calm down. Because I think I was <laughs> so, I had so much energy that they asked me to listen to like slow music at the start. 
and um, and not I'm a thinker I think a lot and so the less I think the better it is mm. um, so sometimes I'm, I don't go to the start right away because watching everybody warm up just gets me nervous so I just kind of show up just to, I stay either above everyone else when they're training at the start and then I come when it gets closer to my time uh, I do that but uh, for running it's been interesting because I'm always nervous at the start um, there's one thing that you have told me to just kind of find like the beauty in things and I've been using that a lot yeah. and it's been helping me a lot because I just kind of you know not focus on me but focus on everything mm-hmm. around me and like how I feel like maybe it's my breathing today maybe it's how my shoe sounds or I focus on something and just right. enjoy it and just kind of go with it and it's been helping me like focus on yeah. something else yeah i think that's so important because i think sometimes when as athletes we get so nervous it's because we're 100 percent focused on our performance right so anything that can like broaden our perspective a little yeah. bit and being like oh actually like i just need to find something about this whole experience that like i love and it's beautiful yeah. and it's good and which has been great like really i like just i mean it's hard here in flagstaff everything's so beautiful but right. uh but just kind of enjoying that and you know, even smelling like the trees when you walk by it's everything about it just it but it has helped me like just keep my focus on the outside and not just how i'm feeling really yeah so. i actually really like this music choice thing that's kind yeah. of like in my mind now i'm like because i'm the same way i'm like like fast music all the time yeah. kind of guy but i could totally see like you want something more chill low-key early on and then there is a time to like bring in the fast music yeah. but maybe not like four hours before you come yeah because i'm usually like create you know i'm just nature i'm just full of energy and i just want to like go mm-hmm. and like ah let's go let's do this so yeah they're always like shooting calm down just <laughs> go listen to like a i don't know some love song or something that just calms you down and so I used to start doing that and it was very helpful. I think the other thing with that too, like just putting yourself in a calm state is caffeine. Yeah. I think oftentimes people have caffeine like way before their competition and then you put like caffeine with fast music and you're just like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh my gosh, I've, I've done this once. I like took, we had a physical testing when I was ski racing and I was super tired and I took one of those like Red Bull drinks. I, I usually don't drink it, but I had one. I actually was like shaking. I couldn't even like do one one like jump. I'm like, this is this is not good. I was like way too hyper. So yeah, that's why I'm a big fan of timing your caffeine. Like, thirty minutes before you go warm up is a good time to take your fifteen minutes before. Yeah. yeah. All right, we're gonna stop this here for a second because we're gonna run out of audio space. Top of the list, guys. That's <laughs> <laughs> <hit> record. <laughs> yeah, right. That's why I'm shuffling around. I'm like. It's, yeah, I think I saw the reference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have to move them. Like, <laughs> All right. this is quite the production. Right? So we're definitely we're getting, getting it done. All right, let me. I might as well just check all the cameras. We're definitely possibly getting it. Is this one playing? Maybe. Okay. Yeah, yeah that definitely. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. So let's segue a little bit here and uh, let's talk about love. Yeah. Let's talk about how you met Ron. <laughs> Ron is. Our first ever Run Free Podcast guest. Also our first Run Free Podcast ever fact checker, which we haven't used yet on live, but we were using Ron before the episode. So Ron, thanks for joining us. But I'd love to hear the story about how you guys met. Ah, uh, So I 
last year of my college, so I was a senior in college, I usually go home for the summer to visit my family. So I went home for the summer and then, actually it was Christmas time, right? It was summertime, okay, yeah, it was summertime. Fact checking's coming in. That's right. So, um, so I go home and then at that time, you know, being a college student, my, one of my friends who, her mom was a flight attendant, uh, she had given me a standby pass, so ticket to fly, where you just, whatever seat's available, you just hop on and it's half the price, you just pay the fees. So anyways, went to Lebanon and then it was coming the end of the summer, I had to come back to school. And she's like, oh, you know, you should go on that day, it looks perfect, the flight looks good. So I was traveling from Lebanon to Dubai, Dubai, Atlanta, Atlanta, Salt Lake City, Utah. And so I hop on the first flight, I get to Dubai, I'm already late, I'm running, like sprinting to the flight. I get there and everybody start boarding the flight and kind of like everybody's on. I'm sitting there, I'm looking at the guy, I'm like, hey, I'm here, you know, this is my pass. He looks at me and he was still typing and he goes, sorry, ma'am, you know, this guy over there is, he's ahead of you. And I looked in the corner of my eye and I see Ronnie standing there and he had a, you know, I don't know if you recognize those pilot bags. They're kind of like the metal square. Uh-huh, yeah. But anyways, he's standing. Also wearing those fancy, those fancy bags. Yeah, they fit, they, fit in, they fit everywhere. So that's why, you know, uh, they just take them. So. so I'm sitting there and I looked over my corner. And I'm like, oh, shoot. And so I was like, well, my friend I told me. this guy. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> my friend told me, like, there is seats on this flight. And I'm thinking in my head, oh, shoot, I could have stayed another day at home. Like, this is terrible. I don't want to sleep in Dubai. And I kept asking the guy, I'm like, I need to get on the flight. He's like, no, sorry, this guy's ahead of you. So I started crying. And <laughs> so Ronnie walks up to me, my husband. He's like, hey, don't worry about it. You know, I'm, I've been stuck here for three days. He's the same situation because he used to be a pilot. And he's also on standby. So he's been trying to also get out of Dubai, but he's also been stuck for... He's like, don't worry, I've been stuck here for three days. So... If you need a place to stay, my friend lives here, and I'm sitting. I'm like, oh my gosh! I'm <laughs> Who's like, this creeper? <laughs> I'm like, I need to get on this flight like right now. And I was like, but I don't have a visa. I can't get out. Like, are you gonna stay with me? Are you gonna leave me? And you know, I started to feel better. I'm like, okay, he's a nice guy. And right away, you know, the the guy behind the counter, he goes, Mr. Kamal, it's you know, we found you a seat. And then Ronnie, just you know, the Gemini he is, the other Gemini part, of <laughs> the other face. Because, oh, well, I have to go now. He's like, my friends are waiting for me. I have to go to, you know, Chile. We're supposed to go skiing. I've been stuck for three days. So good luck. But I'm sure you'll get on the flight. <laughs> and he walks away. And I was so mad at him. Like, that he left me. I, like, barely met this oh, guy. no, but... he's just a stranger at this point, Yeah, but right? he, had, he had made me feel good for, like, that one second. And then he just, like, left. Just left me. You know? And so... I saw him like walking away. So now everybody has boarded the flight. I'm sitting there like staring at the guy. I'm like, you have to give me a ticket. Like, and he's not looking That's at me. That's my future husband. <laughs> I gotta catch him. Yeah, so he's <laughs> the guy behind the counter not looking at me. Finally, he goes, ma'am, here you go. So he gives me a ticket. I look, you know, economy seat, awesome. I'm like, yay, so excited. So I started walking right before I like walk in the plane. The guy who was behind the counter runs to me and he goes, hey, man, sorry, this we gave you the wrong boarding pass. He gives me a new boarding pass and it's first class. I'm like, what? This is getting like, this Scored. is amazing. I've never sat first class like because usually with standby, they just give you the first, you know, they just want you to sit on there. So I walk in there and I'm giving you the long 
version of it. So there is a family sitting on the first row because people thought like the plane boarded, so people moved around. And there's this lady sitting in my seat. It was like 1A. I'm like, sorry, ma'am, this is my seat. And so we start kind of like going. She's like, this is my family here. Do you mind sitting like in 3A, which is two seats behind? I'm like, no, this is my seat. Because I'm like, this is my seat. Like, I just want my seat. Come on. So the flight attendant walks out. And she's like, hey, what's the issue? And I was like, well, this is my... She goes, well, would you mind sitting next to this gentleman over there? And I'm like, oh, it's that same guy. (laughs) Same guy, Ronnie, that I just saw at the airport. And I was like, sure, okay. So we go, I sit next to him. He's sitting there already drinking champagne, has like the flight socks on. I'm like... (laughs) And I was trying to be cool, like... I've, you know, I know where to put my, I like couldn't figure out where to put my bag. Well, did you just walk up without saying like, hey, it's me? No, he, the only thing he said to me, he's like, oh, you made it. And I'm like, of course I made it. I was like, <laughs> you know, here I am trying to put like my stuff away, but I didn't, you know, just kind of awkward. I've never sat first class. I'm like, yeah, act cool. Like you've done this before. And <laughs> so I put my stuff down and anyways, for 12 hours, so from Dubai to Atlanta, we watched a movie together we had breakfast we had dinner uh we slept together none of it was awkward you know it was just a nice 12 hour Mm -hmm. flight so we chatted the whole time and yeah nothing about it felt awkward and uh, at the end of the flight we i still remember we got to the we got out of the plane we went to a coffee shop he bought a muffin and a coffee and split the muffin in fourth which i thought was really weird that is weird I'm like, why? Why would you do that? He was trying to share. He was trying to share it with me. I think. And, and two other women. I don't know, <laughs> but I thought really weird. I'm like, why would you? Why would you just rip the top off? Like, why yeah. would you? I don't know. Just eat your muffin. Like, no. But anyways, um, but he was still re- split your muffins in four. <laughs> he does not. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah. So we exchanged numbers, and I said, hey, if you ever come to Utah or like go to Lebanon, because he's both mom and dad are Lebanese. So I said, if you ever come to Lebanon or anything, just here's my phone number. And I remember as soon as I landed in Utah, he called me. He's like, hey, just checking that you made it. I'm like, are you, are you like tracking me? Like, how did you know that I just, I literally just landed. And uh, yeah, we kind of stayed in touch that way and talked back and forth. I think it was in August when we met. And then October, he's like, hey, do you want to come to Chicago and visit Chicago? And usually I'm never someone who's like, yeah, okay, cool, I'm coming. So I decided to take a trip there, and yeah, the rest was just history. Okay, yeah. so moral of the story, if you want to catch your wife, Go muffin in four pieces. Yes, that's very okay. important. Okay. That's very important. I got to hear the backstory to that. Another episode with Ron, we're going to have him on, and it'll be the love episode yes. about how to catch a wife yeah. by cutting your muffins in four pieces. Uh, yeah. That's a good story. I love it. I love it. So we met, we met in the air, but... So it was good. It was a good story where we just, you know, I don't think there's like any expectation from, you know, I didn't know anything about him, if he's married or had a girlfriend or anything. So yeah. It was just kind of a nice friendship conversation. We'll talk a little bit about, on this note, like the importance of having someone behind you, a spouse in this case. Because, I mean, Ron has been out here in Flagstaff now and going from Chicago to Flagstaff, a little bit different atmosphere out here (laughs) and uh, taking his work on the road and stuff. So talk about kind of the support that Ron has offered you through all these Olympic experiences and chasing Olympic qualifying times and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I could have done this without him. Like, he's been a huge support. And um, he's not, you know, Ronnie runs. He's 
the first time we did the marathon together, he was just like, yeah, that's cool, let's do it. Even so, I start. I told him we'll run together, and I kind of took off like three, two miles after we started. It was kind of mean of me, but um, you know, I was just kind of like, oh, I feel good, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but he's always been extremely supportive, and I think having someone, you know, to pack everything and come and hang out in Flagstaff and just kind of hear me out and hear me complain and you know he kind of he actually start giving me now deadlines for how long i can complain Ooh, I like so it. i'm gonna try that with my so wife so he's he said after a race you have what was it 24 hours 24 hours i'm allowed it's a to, long time it is. i think you need to cut that down <laughs> hey <saying>. no so <laughs> i have 24 hours to just you know because the first couple hours don't count you're still kind of like right. thinking about the race but then you have 24 hours, but then after that, he just ignores me, so <laughs> which is really hard. But you know, snaps I, you out of it, though, right? Yeah, so I don't. Yeah. But even so, when I like have a after training, I used to come home like, ah, I had such a bad run today. It was awful. It was terrible, and I talk about it all day long. And so now, <laughs> I can imagine this happening. So now it's more like I walk in. How was your run? It was good, bad, and that's it. And we don't talk about running for the rest of the day. So. Which is nice because it gives you that separation. Right. You know, I kind of write my thoughts down and just kind of think on my own of what happened and don't have to whine about it for yeah. a whole day long and ruin our day. So. Well, I haven't known Ron very long personally yet, but we need to hang more. But my favorite Ron story, and this was the first time I met him, was he was helping us out a long run. <laughs> I give him my sweet bike, the sweetest bike I have, which hasn't been serviced in like 15 years. So not that sweet of a bike, as you can imagine. And uh, Ron's out helping you on your long run, yeah. and he gets about, I don't know, four or five miles out, flat tire. <laughs> and uh, and I, I learned this later on in the morning. So I, I'm in my car, and I'm driving back to go pick up Ron. And I see Ron running next to his bike with the backpack <laughs> on. <laughs> with his like, jacket I'm, and jeans on. I was impressed at that moment. So you got a winner yeah. here. You yeah. know, not many guys are going to run with a backpack on with a bike yeah. 7,000 feet to altitude to help their wife. So I was he, was, he was very proud. You know, he's like, oh, I did like three, two miles just running or a mile. I can't remember what he said, but three miles. So he was very proud of it. It's yeah. impressive. I've never done that myself. Yeah. I felt really bad because that day, I think we, you both were struggling with the bikes. Yes. It was a... Uh, Moral of the story, don't get a piece of junk foldable bike off Amazon for $100. doesn't work. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, we had some bike issues that yeah, day. Yeah. The runs went better than the biking, which is okay. Yeah, actually, it was, it went, the run was really good. And I think because yeah. it took our, you know, I was, I was probably, as usual, nervous. But I think it didn't make me think about the run. I was just laughing at both of you. <laughs> and <laughs> That's what we're here for, comedy. It yeah. was just uh, really, really fun to just watch both of you fixing bikes while... Mo and I trying to finish a long run, so. Well, I mean, luckily Ron here, he can like build an airplane. <laughs> Myself, I don't have the mechanical skills that Ron had, so he well, saved the day and made that, somehow strapped that foldable bike together so that well, he I could ride he, with he you. He actually took the brake off, so every time I like was biking, he's like, hey, if I don't stop, it's because I don't have a brake. So he oh, just yeah. kind of like shuffled through no, the I mean, that's turn. normal. I don't have brakes on most of my bikes. That's why you wear the just, hiking boots and you just put your boot down on the ground. <laughs> yeah, that's Part for the exactly yeah. so but yeah but we have a great picture of it of uh, mo actually riding with both of you in the back fixing bikes yeah. not even paying attention to mo <laughs> i love that picture i need to, to frame it i so. feel so bad for mo <laughs> okay all right so we're gonna go back to your story because i've been super long-winded with this 
questioning. <laughs> but uh, let's let's run through highlights of your next two Olympic experiences. Two thousand. Let's start with two thousand six. Uh, Torino. So Torino. I mean, it's all the Winter Olympic Games were just amazing. You know, it's none of them were similar to the other. Everyone was different. Um, I could tell you which one were my favorite. Like the two thousand two, even so, I wasn't my healthiest. Was such a great experience. But then 2010 was also one of my favorite. Just the area, Whistler was beautiful, and my family was there, so that was a good one. But yeah, every single one-on-one was just yeah. wonderful. Okay, so now let's. You mentioned how you transitioned from running, just want or from skiing to running. You just wanted to tick that marathon box. Um, but I'm curious to hear more about that story so like at what point did going from because i believe your first marathon in chicago was 304 correct me if i'm wrong 207 there. ron 307 you got seconds on that we'll pull up the seconds okay. later okay 307 so i mean you run 307 that's a good solid marathon for first marathon right but at what point were you like i think i'm gonna try and qualify for the olympics in the marathon i probably didn't feel that till 2015 so honestly, like the Chicago Marathon, yeah, I mean, 2000, yeah, 2015, because um, I was still, you know, 307, and I would go like 305, 303, like I just had a hard time. It took me a while to break that three hour, mm. and I- Were you following a plan at this point, have a coach? Um, not really. I start, I joined like a club, Fleet Feet. They had a club in Chicago. Yeah, I know. I've been to that Fleet Feet. Yeah, so yeah. I started training with them, but they had, you know, Tuesday, 6.30 p.m., you know, you just show up, and they're like, oh, today we're doing 800. I had no idea what I was doing. Right. I mean, it was fun to be there and just to do it. Or I remember, like, the longest tempo I would do was a four-mile tempo, but literally it was just go all out for four miles. Yeah, And that's race. it. But that yeah. was my tempo run. I never did anything longer than five or six miles, and... Um, but through training with Fleefy, I met one of uh, a friend of mine who was a 247 at that time. And uh, she's like, oh, you know, maybe I can coach you and tell you what I've done. She's not a coach at all. Mm-hmm. But her and I just started uh, running around and she just started telling me, okay, today, tomorrow you should do eight mile tempo. Today, do it at this pace and do it at that pace. So I started following what she would tell me. And it was just us two friends doing it. And her work was very close to mine. So every day we would, in the morning, we would meet, in the morning we'd run to work with our backpacks, go to work, and then at the end of work, we just, you know, shower at work because we have shower. And then at the end she like texts me, and like, hey, ready at 4.35, I'm like, okay. We just meet up on Michigan Avenue and then we just run back home. Hmm. So we got like a good 12 miles in every day, uh, but it was fun because we'd catch up at the end of the day, hey, how was work and things like that. Sometimes we'll do a small little pickup on the way back, but we both had backpacks on. I mean, I was like the girl <laughs> with the backpack. Um, That's where Ron got it from. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I still nowadays, like when, you know, before COVID, run to work and just put my backpack on and just run to work, run back. Um, I think, I don't know if it's a city thing, but hmm. it's very convenient. Uh, just, that's how I got my mileage in because otherwise, you know, working all day. miles a day is a lot. Yeah. So you, you had good results, I'm assuming. Off yeah, I point. did. I So training with her, I went from 301 to 240, I think Chicago Marathon, I did 248, 246. And then... Fact checker's killing it over I here. I know, he's so good at it. <laughs> uh, 
so after Chicago 2015, I was I went home to Lebanon. There was a marathon in November. It was November 11th. And I was like, oh, I'm t- I have to go to this one because it's home. And to me, it means a lot to be there and just, you know, in front of my own home crowd. And so right after Chicago, I probably took the whole month off. I didn't even do anything because I just thought it would go there for fun. I went there and ran at 2.48, 49. And, um, but I was very excited because that was my second, like, two-hour, 40-something mm-hmm. marathon. So I was like, okay, yes, I made it. Like, the sub three, now I'm confident I can do it again. And at that time, I started slowly, like, training with another coach from Arizona, switching things up because I met him through actually Ronnie's co-worker was like oh he's really good he's trained with him so he started helping me out and I told him that I wanted to do a Houston marathon like actually on the flight back from Lebanon I wrote him an email I still have that saying like I know you're going to think I'm crazy but I want to do another marathon and I think I can go to the Olympics and I think at that time people were telling me after my Two two forty, you know, mm-hmm. seven, eight, nine, and six. People were like, "Oh, Shreen, like if you run sub two forty five, you can go to the Olympics." I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I could do this!" And but I have to do it in January of twenty six. That's my last chance to do it because otherwise, qualification. There's no more mm-hmm. marathon. Right. And I did not want to train in Chicago in February. It's just terrible. So I really focused on that. I'm like, I want to do it. Every single person that I know, they thought. Shreen, you're just pushing yourself right now. Like, you've done two marathons. Lebanon went well because you were already on a high and you were so excited. You just did Lebanon. There's no way you're running a PR and you're third, like, less than three months apart, you're doing a third marathon. Like, what did your boss say about that? My my coach? No, remember, you were telling me about your boss, what he said to everyone in the office when you were trying to qualify for the Olympics. So my boss said to everyone, he said, if Shreen qualifies to the Olympics, we were five of us sitting in the room, he said, I will take all of you to the Olympics and I will pay, you know, all your expenses, all your flights, and we're going to go and cheer Shreen on. So do you feel like he's betting against you? He's like, oh, she's not going to take all (laughs) y'all to the Olympics this year. I think, honestly, he didn't see it coming. He was like, no way, you know, Mm. there's no way she's going to do it. Um... But yeah, so I think to me that just motivated me. I was like, oh, that was just like, I like would write it down. Like people would give me like little notes and they would write on it like 244 or something like that. And Uh I would stick them on my desk and stare at them every day. Um, But yeah, I was just, uh, I decided, you know, for Houston, I wanted to do it. And the training between Lebanon and Houston, it was terrible. Like I would go out and do a run. I couldn't even hit like, a six I would come out I'm like oh, that was terrible Ronnie's like how was your run I'm like couldn't even run a 640 how mm. am I supposed to run like at sub 245 and none of my workout went as planned like every single one of them was terrible and my coach would ask me how was your run I'm like great it was great my it was great I, he's like you did it I'm like yeah it was a really good run and okay um, so I'm gonna need to check with fact check no, I'm actually really, text I'm, from you about I'm your workout I'm very honest but I think I was so focused that I wanted I for some reason there was like a belief I just really believe I can do it and I I just refused to listen to anyone else and then more people were like no way you can't do it it's you're gonna be injured the more I wanted to do it and yeah so Ronnie and I it was kind of Ronnie goes okay this is like a business trip I'm like okay we left on a Friday 
uh, we got to Houston. We went there, did the race, ran 2.44, I don't know what's the change, 19, and went, flew back to Chicago, and I was like, I qualified. That's wow. it. Wow. Yeah. So were you, considering none of your workouts went well, were you surprising yourself when you're in that race and you're on pace? Um, yes, very much so. But I think it's, you know, that was the one moment in my life, like, through running that it taught me that your how strong mental your mental has to do you can be physically strong but if you don't have what it takes you mentally you can't get there if your heart is not into it you won't get there no matter how hard you train no matter what you do you just can't get there and so i truly truly believe like mental does a lot to do like with running mm. so yeah oh without a doubt it's a factor for sure but i think it's also too like important for people who are listening to this to realize that you can have a really subpar buildup like you had where you're not in those workouts and still have a really good race off that and i've okay. seen that with a lot of other athletes as well where it's like the buildup didn't go that well but then they go crush their race yeah. you know so i think that's why it's really important to always have that openness on the starting line being like anything's possible that even if my workouts have all been trash garbage it's like, still possible yeah so. i i honestly like didn't have a single one of them that was good but i have made the decision that i wanted to go there and i've committed to it and i wasn't going to back out of it and i think that helped me go to the just to the finish and get it done and i remember there's a girl probably two miles before we finished she comes up right next to me at Houston Marathon and she's like, hey, my watch died. And she's like, what pace are you doing? I'm like, I'm not talking to you. Like, I have two <laughs> months to go. I'm like out of breath. Like, I'm uh -huh. not saying a word. And she asked me again. She's like, hey, seriously, like, I, I can I run with you? I asked her one question. I said, are you going for a sub 245? She said, yes. And I was like, let's go. And I just went with her to the finish. And it's amazing what having someone just push you at the finish that lasts mm -hmm. when you think you're just literally dying and can't do it uh there's always this extra in you that you always have so yeah and that's what people are there for you know yeah. and that's what i like to talk a lot about with competition is we're you're there to make other people around you better and vice versa yeah. and that's why like we can do things in a race that we can never do in training yeah you know like you can i could only run 15 miles in training at the pace i could go 26 miles at when i'm with my competitors and people are cheering on the side like that energy the other people is what brings out absolutely. the greatness you know absolutely so it's cool you got to experience that yeah, yeah. i mean i'm not joking like the, some of the workouts i would go out there i've had six mile tempo I would do one mile and stop for like five minutes. One mile and stop for five. I just couldn't do the, f I just had no energy, mm. none. But I don't know how, just that day. It was just yeah. everything like went perfectly. Yeah, yeah. Race day. That's, that's the beautiful mystery of running. Yeah. You know, Think sometimes you just hit the right day, yeah. you feel great whatever for whatever reason mentally nutritionally sleep wise like things are just clicking absolutely and, oh, yeah. it's so much fun so that was happening. my olympics honestly like yeah. it's like it's yeah. just it's a race that i will never forget yeah. so well i don't want to take too much of your time this has been amazing this has been the longest podcast I've ever done by the way <laughs> has it? Wow. yeah we're setting a record here so <laughs> this is good omens for eugene but i do want to just ask you this um having been to both the summer and winter olympics and i'm just super curious to hear your response on this um I'm not going to ask you which one do you like better because okay. I feel like that's not a fair question. <laughs> but I am curious, like, what were the biggest differences for you? 
Um, the Summer Olympics is so much easier to travel for. Hmm. So like when you travel for the winter, I'm packing six to eight pairs of skis, different poles, helmets, chin guards, like suits. For the Summer Olympics, I'm packing like a couple pairs of shoes, <laughs> shorts, t-shirt, flip-flops. Yeah. You know, it's, it's almost feels like you're going on a little mini vacation and it's just so much easier, you know, it's less hassle yeah. and stress. And imagine you're surrounded by more Lebanese athletes at the Summer Olympics versus you said like two people in the Winter Olympics. Yeah, for the yeah for the summer we have like judo, we have um, some people on the track and field. There's swimming and things like that. So it's kind of nice to see everyone there um, in Rio and just be a little bigger of a team. So yeah, what what was the highlight of the Rio Olympics for you? Uh, the highlight. Well, let's see. Also, my family was there, so that was really uh, cool nice. that they came all the way there. Um, and they went to the opening ceremony. I think that was the first time they did that. Um, but the highlight of the, I mean, the race itself was memorable in a way of how hot it was. <laughs> so yeah. I remember running and people just dropping, like literally dropping by my side. I'm like, what is going on? I feel like you're in a uh, war. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. It was so hot. But yeah, but in general, it was a really good race. Like I think people, I remember talking about that time there was Zika and all those right. things going on, but just you know none of that really existed when we were there so yeah yeah were the opening ceremonies closing ceremonies very similar experiences to winter olympics um yes and no i mean it was different the way they did it in rio where everybody was together almost at the we all all stayed in the stadium uh that was kind of fun because you like walked around and saw the other teams and got to talk with people that you know and take pictures so that was really cool and uh, but the weather was so nice, like it just makes it, I think, much more enjoyable being out there. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, all right. So the point of this whole podcast is what's going on inside of you when you're running, when you're competing. So a question I love to hear the answer to, because I feel like it's different for everyone, is we go through these moments where I call it the pain cave, right? And it happens in every single race. When you're in that moment, when you're just hurting, whatever it is your lungs your legs your arms your whole body sensation when you're going through that moment where you're just like i'm just in a world of pain right now what do you do mentally internally to get through those moments to push through those moments so there's definitely moments where i just don't know how to get myself out of it and i stop because smelling salts Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> we that, tried. We that tried, helps. <laughs> we tried smelling salts for the first time ever, um, for my first time ever with a runner in our last long run, and we had pretty good results. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, it was that moment where you th- I thought, you know, I was going to smell something nice like peppermint or mint, and it just, literally my eyes just split up. I'm like, what was that? <laughs> like, it just l- felt it like in my brain. Uh, I'm full of surprises, guys. I'm yeah, full of surprises. No, no falling asleep. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, it's fine. But yeah, no, um, there's definitely days where I just, I'm mentally, like I have a mental block. Mm-hmm. And I think I've learned from you to be able to like stop, reset, regroup. Like it's okay to do that. Um, I never used to be okay with that. I used mm. to just kind of hammer through it and just cry myself out of it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but <laughs> Pretty dramatic, Trina. Okay. Very dramatic. But uh <laughs> So now like stopping regrouping and resetting and just kind of have a little pep talk with you was actually helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think for me is sometimes I, you know, being here in Flagstaff, 
I always remind myself like I'm here because I chose to be here and so I, I should do this because that's what I want to do no one's asked me to do it but I'm I chose to do this right and I think that kind of always gives me the motivation mm. to just stay on track and I like that. keep pushing because you know at the end of the day you're doing this we're all doing this for ourselves right. and you want to look back and say like wow I'm proud of myself of what I did even so we fail or you know we make it or not it's just you tried yeah and now I can truly like say that to myself like I've, I've I gave it my all I gave everything I have I moved, you know came to Flagstaff I shouldn't say move but been here for a while and you know not a day like I, I'm thankful to be here so just yeah. keep pushing so yeah I love that I love the like in- accountability of that you know yeah. it's being accountable even to that moment it's being like when I chose when I said yes to this I was saying yes to this moment yeah. this moment that I hate that I want to get out of that isn't fun this is a part of this whole saying yes to this whole package yeah. and you know yeah. at the end of the day it's I'm healthy everything's good like I have everything I need so all I'm doing is running yeah. like I know it's it sounds like simple oh I'm just running it's 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 simple but it's not you know I'm pushing myself because I chose to do this no one's asking me no one's like oh Shireen you have to run or you have to do this I chose to do this mm. and so I'm okay being out there and hurting and pushing myself and finding what like that extra thing that I have so which I like honestly before I came here I was like in a whole almost I just kind of like started to lose I was training really hard but I was not doing well because I lost the joy of it but um since I started training with you I like found like I was able to get myself out there and I was able to enjoy it again and just feel alive and feel free and so that was really nice yeah that's cool yeah my my book that's a victory you know no matter how fast you run Eugene no matter if you qualify in Tokyo like it's all about the process and I'm sure you can speak to this being a four-time Olympian like you can go to the Olympics and those are amazing experiences they're super cool but if you don't relish every single day and every single step in the whole process you're just burning your life up leading up to that you know so yeah and I think it's okay for people to just like sometimes you're like oh how do I get myself out there like I'm done I just can't do this but there is always you know like change make a change like Mm -hmm. don't be afraid to Mm -hmm. change don't be afraid afraid to try something new even you know I still nowadays like I sometimes do workouts I'm like I can't believe I did this like you give me you know hey Shereen go run 24 miles I'm like how am I supposed to run 24 miles by myself but somehow it just I just do it and you know you you just have to try like if you fail it's okay but at least you know you tried yeah so I think not being afraid of that and the change and and you know me making the change and training with you even so I was super nervous because I was like oh wait Ryan Hall only coaches like pro athletes I'm not a pro which is not true no it's not it's true totally not your fact checker yes not true <laughs> that is not true and it's you know you really helped me find that joy so yeah. Oh, that's cool um yeah so it's it's been great and but yeah just don't be afraid yeah I love that all right second to last question okay so 
I, one thing I love about doing the athlete intake process with our athletes that run free is that we ask people about their goals and like their dream, like lifetime goals. And I love that we do have every level of athlete, right? People just want to run their first marathon, run their first 5K, all the way to like people. I was doing athlete intake form yesterday and this girl was saying she wanted to qualify for the Olympics. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Like I love, I love every level of goal, but you know, those really big dreamer goals, like yeah. that just, that resonates with me because that's how I I was and when I see those goals I just want to be like okay like this we got to cultivate this we got to grow it the right way but I want to make sure this person really knows the importance of resilience because there's going to be so much discouragement on the path to that goal so as a four-time Olympian I'm sure you've had more than a handful of discouraging moments how do you navigate those discouraging moments? How do you get through them? You mentioned like the really powerful story of you getting through anorexia and going back to your friends and family and being surrounded by loved ones, but like other moments that you've had in your life and your journey that have been really discouraging, how have you navigated those? Um, for me, I always try to look like, I think I always try to find, like find people that are similar to me, like people that are, also runners that have been through it and I try to listen to what if what they've done and how they were able to get out of what they've done like I find my motivation in others a little bit and that keeps me kind of you know realizing that it's it's gonna be okay you know it's gonna be okay to just you will hit some lows like for me when I had my knee surgery for the first time I thought my career was done mm. like I was like there's no way I'm coming back but then you read stories about others that oh they've had you know a couple of knee surgeries they come back and you're like that's gonna be me and I'm going to be that person I will come back and I will show everyone that I can you know do it again and that keeps me motivated to just keep fighting and then just keep going forward and you know and also like coming from a background from Lebanon like I just to me it's it means a lot to represent Lebanon and to just be out there that keeps me motivated to just keep doing it again. Yeah. And But definitely I've had the past four years, I didn't PR in a marathon once and I've trained so hard for it and it just never happened. And I didn't know what it was, you know, it was always, you know, something like didn't do it right or I didn't do this, but I don't know if it was me, I don't know if it was the coaching, I don't know if it was the training, I don't know what it was, but I just, you know, made a decision. I need to get out of this. I need to make a change. I need to find, push myself and put myself, you know, in a training with you, which I know it was not going to be easy, you know, just talking to Mo and he's like, he will, he will put you on track. I was he like, will crush you. <laughs> well, honestly, I think, you, you know, training with you was just help me like kind of make that next move again. Mm. So there's always just find, always look around, always, you know surround yourself with people that support you and then you know believe in yourself i mm. think that's the most important yeah so yeah. important just never my dad used to always tell me this when i was having big decisions i had to make in my life he's like you're never stuck no like there's always a yeah. possibility and i believe that strongly you know mm -hmm. i i don't know also if it's because i'm <laughs> in lebanon like somebody says no you can't do this I'm like, well, don't, like, you can't say no. I'm going to show you that I can do that yeah. and I will find a way. And I think Ronnie, like, sometimes we, you know, we go shopping or something. I'm like, go over there and ask her. He's like, no, that's not, we follow the rules. I'm like, 
no like just try <laughs> something else like what are they gonna say to you yeah. and my mom always said to me like if you don't knock on the door it will never like you will mm. never find out so yeah. you just knock on the door and if it opens great if it doesn't just go to another door and knock again and i've always have that in my mind i'm like try if you fail it's a you know if you knock if you can't do it if you just fail like just do it again yeah so well i mean you can see how that's paid off for you you know from going from lebanon to france at age 12 yeah. and then going over to the u.s for high school it's like you have been knocking on doors and following yeah. a very untraditional path that has yielded results that you know very few people have ever experienced on the planet yeah. so it's, you know it's, it's working and like the one thing i wanted to say is sometimes people get injured and it's very frustrating and trust me i completely understand and they like you know i i could see it saying you don't understand what that you don't understand what it feels like to be injured i'm like i do understand i've been there but there is no there's nothing you can do that's going to going to fix your injuries so find the solution find the problem to what is going on instead of sitting there and just beating your head to the wall because right. you're not getting anywhere so having that mentality and that thought and thinking that way i think will help you through everything you know you get through a training you can't do it it's okay it's frustrating it's okay to be mad it's okay to just be pissed at yourself but know that you will get another opportunity to try it again mm -hmm. so i think having that is helpful um but so yeah well that segue is perfect to my last question which is where is forward moving Shireen going? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Oh, geez. Or you can make it 15 or 20, because I know you might be, I mean. That's a long time from now. You might have like another five or six Olympics. I don't know, who knows, maybe I'll go back to another Winter Olympics. Yeah, I know, you we're know, talking about always that. A, curling is always an option. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I don't know, I, you know, it's um, I, it's hard to tell where I would, I would, this is going. Uh, I definitely now I'm focusing on Tokyo. And I really hope this happens. Um, after that, really, I haven't thought about it. I think my whole focus is on that right now. Um, but who knows, you know, it's, um, I would, I'd love to be involved. I'd love to be someone who can inspire the next generation. But um, yeah, I just don't know what's, what, what I have next. So yeah. surprise, so. Well, maybe if there's another box to tick and then that brings you into another new challenge to face. Yeah, I mean, I've always been interested to do you know, an ultra marathon. I don't think I'm ever be gonna love triathlon. I just don't really, I like doing an Ironman, but just to do it, I don't think it's something that I would do competitively or anything like that, mm -hmm. but just to try it. So, yeah. but uh, yeah, you never know where it goes, so. Yeah, well, you still got a lot of few uh, good running years in front of you. I mean, you're 36 now. And I like to use Sarah, for example. She's at her best at 37, turning 38 soon. So, you know, you got, you got some, you're young in running years. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think now I'm starting to understand what running is all about a little. I have a much better understanding. And, um, you know, training with you here in Flagstaff has been amazing and learning a lot about myself. And so, yeah, so never know where it goes. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. All right. Well, Shreen, thanks for setting the record on the Run Free podcast. Your story <laughs> is compelling, which is why we had to go so long. And we could have talked a lot more. I had a lot more secret questions that I didn't get into that we'll have to save for another time. But all, right. um, all of us in the Run Free community, you're 
a run free athlete as well we'll all be cheering for you so april 11th or 12th it's a rolling start in eugene you'll be going after your olympic games qualifying time so yeah. we're stoked to see how that goes for you and uh thanks for being a part of the run free community thanks for being with us where can people find you to follow your journey on uh, the social media that everyone's doing these days um i think it's shereen.jaim n-j-e-i-m um and i have a facebook but that's it yeah, yeah. just uh if you have any questions for me just ask me instagram me <laughs> dm you dm yes. me on instagram yes. perfect and of course i'll be posting uh post eugene results how it goes for shereen so you guys can follow along as well awesome all right thanks well, thank for having us shereen thank you so much for this it was awesome it's fun all right thanks guys until next time happy training